We are in what is week six of our series, which is looking at the letters of, that John wrote to the church. Uh, we're in the last chapter of the first letter that John wrote. So it's 1 John chapter 5. John has been challenging us to rethink about ourselves, rethink about what it means to be a Christian, to really take on board the high call that we have, what it means to live out Christian values in our, our life. See, the Apostle John actually wrote this first letter around 90 AD um, and, and he wrote it because he was responsible for the oversight of churches in the, um, in the region of Ephesus. And he wrote it because there was trouble happening. The main reason that John wrote the, this letter is that false teachers were denying that Jesus was the Son of God. So John wrote this letter, and if you read, if, if, as we've read through this letter, we've seen time and time again that John wants us to understand that Jesus is God. Jesus is fully human, fully God, incarnate here with us. And we see it again today. He comes and he brings that for us. So John wrote this to correct the errors of the false teachers and we know that they were the Gnostics that were coming in and that were, they were thinking that Jesus was not God, that the God came on to Jesus and then came off Jesus at a particular point in time. But we know that Jesus is fully God all the time. John also wrote this to give a promise, a promise that we hold as well, a promise of eternal life. And so what I want to do is, first of all, share with you um, from verse 13 of chapter 5, and verse 13, 14 and 15, and let, we'll put it up on the screen for you, but I just want you to follow along here. And it gives the reason why he's written this. And normally we kind of, you know, we, we, when we read these letters, often it's, I'm writing to you, Two, and then XXYZ, here at the conclusion, we have John saying, he says this, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us, when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. See, John is helping these believers in the churches around Ephesus and he's also helping us to have confidence in our faith, confidence in our faith, confidence in our prayers, confidence that we have eternal life, confidence that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one, the one in whom we believe, confidence that Jesus is the Son of God and confidence in this fact and not to be swayed by the false teachers. So with that confidence that we have, and, and let me ask you, do you have confidence in the gospel? Do you have confidence in Christ? This is a question that we need to ask ourselves, and my answer for me is yes. 
And that's where I live my life from, the confidence that Christ has won it all. And I hope that you have that confidence as well. I hope that you have the confidence of Christ flowing through you and doing all those things for us that allow us to be bold, to be brave, to allow us to live our life full of the confidence of God so that we can combat anything that comes in front of us. So let's just jump back into, into chapter 5, verse 1 of 1 John chapter 5. And we're going to look at some specific things that John is actually saying here and what it means for us specifically. So let's just jump back in here. And I'm going to read through to verse um, 12. So join with me. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. And we know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I love that. Who can defeat the battles of this world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit who is in truth confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. So this, this is actually a little defence here that John is using to defend against the Gnostics who are saying that, that Jesus isn't, isn't God. And he, he wasn't God when he was born, but when, when the Holy Spirit, when, when he was baptised and the dove came down from on by, then they thought that God's spirit then rested on him but he was still a man with God's spirit resting on him. When he died, God's spirit left. But we know that Jesus is fully God all the way from the beginning to the end, to the end of the universe. Jesus is God. And so that's, that's why he puts in there those three things to help us know that Jesus is God. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his Son. All who believe in the Son of God know in their heart that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this is actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his Son. And this is what God has testified he has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. Powerful words. Powerful words. See, this first, this first thing that come, what I, I want to just share with you about this. Is, is this section of the Bible helps us in our faith. It helps us in our faith because I want to put three things up on the, on the screen for us. Three things. This is the reason. Very first, right in the very beginning in, in verse 1, 2, and 3, it says this. When we believe, we believe in Jesus. 
We become children of God and we obey God's commands. This is, this is something that will help us in our walk in faith. Take these three things on board. What does it mean for us to be a disciple? It means that we believe in Jesus. It means that because of what Jesus has done, said yes to Jesus, we become children of God. And when we are children of God, what do we do? We obey God's commands. See, here's the thing. Faith in Jesus is not just a theoretical thing. Faith in Jesus is practical. It has implications for our lives. See, when John was writing about loving God, he, he, he's referring to how we keep God's commands. It's, it's not in what we say. It's not... It's not when we go, oh, I love God. It's not what we post in our socials. It's not about what we sing, whether it's in an ancient hymn or a modern worship song. Loving God is seen in what we do. Don't get me wrong here. I'm not actually advocating that that we are saved by our actions. Our actions flow out of being saved and we want to obey We want to do what God has for our lives. We don't gain favour with God by being good. And we don't store up merits in heaven by doing good. Jesus has paid all the price. We don't need to do anything in order to have eternal life. Jesus has done it for us already. But because of what? Jesus has done, we want to change our lives. We want to have our words of faith mean something. We want to have our worship mean something. We want to express this in real practical ways. Our words and our worship want to bear witness and want to bear action for us to live out. The Uniting Church actually has this little statement that it makes about expressing what it means to be a church and how a church actually needs to have these three elements in it in order for it to be, you know, fulfilling its life, what its, its mission. And this is actually from um, the Uniting Church's website and, and, and it says this, and I'll just read it for you. One way that the basis of union, and just for those that don't know what the basis of union is, the basis of union is the, is the document that was put together that guided the joining of the three churches that became the Uniting Church and it formed the basis on which they came together. So it was a, a statement of faith, a statement of intent and purpose of what it meant to be the Uniting Church. So one way that the basis of union talks about The calling of God's church is that we are called to worship, witness and serve. These three acts of Christian faith are inseparable and help us to think about how we live our lives of worship by proclaiming the gospel in word and in deed. They are three things that are interwoven together. Worship and witness and service are all part 
of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It is who we are as a church. It is the very foundation of what it means for us to be New Beginnings Uniting Church. We worship, we witness, and we serve. It's not good enough for us just to worship, not to do just one part. It's not good enough just to see, you know, to, to say yes and witness. It's not good enough just to go out and serve and do good. It's all of those coming together that helps us be the church. It actually shows that we are obeying God's commands in our lives. But here's the rub. For those who truly want to love God and keep God's commands, they're not burdensome. They're not heavy on us. You know, so the word that is actually used means they're heavy, to be, you know, stern, to be severe, you know, to be violent and cruel. That's the, you know, that's the kind of word that is used that God's commands are not burdensome. They're not heavy. They're not stern. They're not, you know, oppressing upon us. But here's the thing. For those who are new to the faith and new to coming to loving God with all of their heart, all of their sight, all of their soul, it may seem heavy because... They have to, we have to stop thinking about ourselves and actually start thinking about what God is wanting us to do in our lives. It may seem heavy at first, but the more we take some spiritual disciplines, the more we take some steps towards living in our faith of fulfilling God's purpose for our lives, of obeying God's commands, the easier it becomes. And we start putting aside ourselves, and we start placing God in front of us. So here, there, there, there are two things that I want to share with you. Is the great commission and the great commandment of how we put this into practice, what it means to worship, witness and serve, what it means to be a disciple, what it means for us as a church to live this out. If we go to Matthew's Gospel and Matthew 28, verses 18 through to 20, it has the great commission. This is where Jesus, before he leaves the disciples, gives them the commission of what they are meant to do, what they are meant to establish, what it means for them to be the church. And it says this, And Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given, been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Notice what they're doing. Go and make disciples witness Witness to that. Teach them, these new disciples, to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. So this is what Jesus told his disciples they needed to do. This is what... He wanted them to do. But how does he do it? How do we fulfill the Great Commission? We do it through love. We do it by placing not ourselves first, but God first. We love God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. 
So let, let, let me share that with you. If we go into Matthew 22, so a little bit further on, when, when Jesus is challenged of which is the greatest commandments to, for, within the Bible, which are the ones that we're meant to actually follow, Jesus says this, Matthew 22, verse 37 to 40, and it says, it says this, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. A second is equally important, love your neighbour as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love God and love your brothers and sisters around you. It doesn't say love yourself, place yourself first, strive to get what you want. It says love God and love your neighbour as yourself. This is so important for us to actually live out. We live it out in our, in our discipleship that we do. We live it out in our worship that we have. We live it out in the service that we give one another. We live it out as we serve those who are least amongst us. We live it out when we, when we go and we, we want to help the world see the errors of their ways. This is something that we need to stand up and do. This is something we are called to do. We go and make disciples of all nations because we love God with all of our heart. We go and make disciples of all nations because we want to love our neighbour as ourselves. We want people to know the great love of God for themselves. Now, as we, as we are looking into, into 1 John chapter 5, now I could talk more in this chapter about the importance of prayer and how, how we need to pray and, and pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to pray for one another. I could be delve more into the proof that John was using that, that Jesus is fully human and fully God. And all of these things are worthy of investigation and of seeing how they, they change and they impact our lives as Christians. But the last thing I want to share with you as, we, as we're looking at 1 John chapter 5 is this, and it's, and it's the promise. It's the hope that we have. It's the thing that as, as we live our life, we often don't give a lot of thought to. We don't often give a lot of credence to. Because the thing is that we often live in the here and now in the moment. We might look a little bit ahead. Some of us might be a little bit future planning. We might look further. But often we don't live our life knowing that we have eternal life. Often we live our life in the here and the now and the moment and what's in front of us. What can we get? The instant gratification. See, eternal life, if we want to have eternal life, it's not found in the things that we've accumulated. It's not found in the, the job and the career that we've had. You know, I don't get eternal life because I'm here as a minister within the church. That, that doesn't give me any credence there. I have eternal life 
because it's found in Jesus Christ. Those that have Jesus have eternal life. And those who don't have Jesus don't have eternal life. It's not about living that good life. It's about Jesus. Jesus paid it all for us. Jesus is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. Let me share with you as we wrap up now, not from John's letter, but from John's gospel. Notice that John keeps this theme of who Jesus is and the importance of Jesus being the Christ and the only way to God in front of us. See, John 14, verse 6 and 7 tells us all, Jesus told him, as as the disciples and people challenged Jesus, Jesus here is going, I'm going to give you the way to come to eternal life. The question, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus answered this. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That is through Jesus. If you had really known me, you would also know my, who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And why do we know him? Why do we know the Father? Why do we know God Almighty? Because we know Jesus. Jesus is the way. That is the importance of all of this. And here, when we come back into John's letter to the churches around Ephesus and the challenge that he is facing with false teaching, saying that Jesus is actually not God, he is saying to them, if you want eternal life, it is in Jesus only. Are you placing your trust in Jesus? Are you placing your trust in Jesus today, here, right now? It's not something that we just go, yes, I do it once. We do it repeatedly. We do it time and time again. Yes, I place my trust in Jesus. So let's just pray and ask ask God to help us in our faith, to help us in our life, to help us live out the commands that God has given us, to help live us so that we may love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, that we may love our neighbour as ourselves, that we may have Jesus as the way that we are living, that we know that Jesus is the truth in our life. So let's just pray together. Oh, Lord God, we just come to you right now. We come to you knowing that, that we we are sinful, We come to you knowing that we don't always do the things that that are right in your eyes, that we don't always fulfil your commandments, that often we think that the burden of what you would have us do is just too much for us. Our Lord, break down in our lives the things that are causing us to hold you at arm's length.
Lord, we know that you've defeated sin. We know that you give us new life. We know that you give us eternal life. And we come to you, God, and we ask that we may have that eternal life because we believe in Jesus Christ. We believe Jesus is the way for us. A loving God. Help us today. Help us tomorrow. Help us in all the days to follow, to believe. But not only believe, but to worship. Not only to worship, but to serve and fulfill the commands that you've given us. Lord, help them not to be heavy, but to be light because you carry the burden. It's not, Lord, help us remember that it's not about what we do, but about what you've done. So, Lord, we pray this. We pray this right now. We ask that that we may be your children. We ask that you may be our God and we commit our lives to you all of our lives, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our body, all of our very being, all that we do, all the energy that we have, we give to you, Lord. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.